Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check us out on social media. We're available on all platforms. So just head over, search Country Music Made Me, and give us a follow. You can also visit us at countrymusicmademe.com to sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by Rachel Wamick. Now, Rachel's love of music began at a young age. She started writing when she was 12, releasing music in high school. And at the age of 17, she had a bit of a made-for-TV, made-for-movie moment. She was performing at a local restaurant, and the executive vice president of A&R from Sony Music Nashville came up and said, I love what you do. Here's my card. If you ever need any advice or want to move to Nashville, just let me know. Now, she wasn't ready. She was 17. She didn't know what a musical career looked like. So she decided to stay close to home and attend university instead. Now, once she graduated, that's when she took the leap. She moved to Nashville. She launched her career in 2018. She officially signed with Sony. It's been an amazing adventure that has culminated with the release of her latest single, Like Me. So please enjoy our conversation with Rachel Wamick. I would like to travel way back to a simpler time, a time when your mother was carrying you and swinging you around the house, listening to Aretha Franklin, and your brother was pumping friends in low places every morning from his bedroom. Talk about that time and just growing up around music and sort of the time when it began to inspire you and those first memories you have when music started to take hold. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny when people ask me about how I got into music, I just can't remember a time where music wasn't everything to me. Um, I, my mom, you know, even I guess being a little child, uh, they always had music playing in, in our house. Um, but I mean, country and soul, I would say were the biggest that my, my parents liked because um, they love Garth Brooks um, and they love Trisha Yearwood and, and Reba and Rascal Flats. But they also love... Um, they, they love a lot of soul and, and rightly so. I mean, the Muscle Shoals sound, um, which even at that time, Muscle Shoals wasn't um, as known as it is today. Uh, okay. The for Muscle Shoals hadn't come out. Um, so when you talk about like worldwide understanding what Muscle Shoals is, really it was more so just muscle shoals that knew and maybe a few people in nashville um so it, it's crazy to think back on that time where you know me saying i was from muscle shoals wouldn't have hit as hard for everyone as it is now when i'm like i'm from muscle shoals and they're like holy crap you know um but yeah i just my parents loved aretha franklin and or still love and um and Otis Redding and the Almond Brothers and uh, even like Earth, Wind and Fire and the Bee Gees and um, gosh, so much music. But but then also when I think about it, um, you know, mom and dad, it's so funny. 
I remember Saturday mornings waking up. I mean, this would be like seven thirty in the morning, and my dad would be blasting the national anthem <laughs> by Celine Dion or Whitney Houston. You know, some of the greatest uh, national anthems, and you know, because he's um, especially they love Alabama football, and so that's oh, okay. How- Pumped early Saturday mornings listening to the national anthem. And so I just fell in love with these big, beautiful voices. And um, really, that's because of a lot of their influence. And, and my brother, you know, loved Hank Williams um, and and he loved Garth as well. Willie Nelson. Um, and but, you know, in grade school and middle school, you know, that was when I had started learning to play the piano and I started really songwriting and I fell in love with music on my own. And, and so I was interested in artists like Adele who had just put her album 19 out at the time. And I was just like, Whoa, and and really that album had such a country flair um compared to a, a lot of her stuff now that's really pop but a lot of it was super organic um you know her song don't you remember it was just very country and i didn't know that at the time but now listening back i'm like wow there's even though she didn't have the twang she um she had a lot of country influence in in her sound and um and then artists like Sam Smith really influenced me uh, with his just airy but beautiful voice. And anyway, I could go on and on, but I really was just impacted on all sides by beautiful, groovy music. And um, and I just sang all the time. Like I would be in the car. Uh, we'd be going down to Birmingham to see my grandparents and everyone ha- would have to be like, all right, Rach, we need a break. Like, cause I would just be like, you know, just like random, which if you have kids, maybe you, you know, understand if, if they love music, Absolutely. but um, you just couldn't, I, I just couldn't stop. And, um, I'm I'm thankful that they gave me a long time before their patience wore thin on hearing the same melody over and over. <laughs> and so when did it wear thin? How long were you able to do that before they were like, okay, that is honestly enough? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking they gave me a lot more time than I thought, probably like, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And they're like, all right, Rach. Um, but they were all very supportive. And uh, even though I know it annoyed the heck out of my brother, um, you know, they they were supportive of me. And, and, you know, I could hold a tune as a little kid. And um, that, you know, they thought, wow, this is this really interesting. She maybe she could do something with this, you know. Right. And now as you dove into songwriting at 12 years old, of course, the famous first song of ramen noodles now i've heard you say that that is your first song but i haven't been able to dive into this much now i believe 12 years old was about 2006 and so how soon after you began writing did ramen noodles come to life (laughs) 
You know, I was just such a goofy kid, man. Um, and I still, I mean, I still am, but I feel like, you know, you're just writing your real life <laughs> and your kid. And, you know, to be honest, I probably, and you're the first to hear this, I probably had written songs before that, but that was the first substantial <laughs> memorable song. Um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't really, I, I never really cooked that much growing up, to be honest. My mom would try to get me interested and be like, you know, cook with me. And I just really wasn't interested. But the one thing that I loved to make was ramen noodles. And at the time I called them ramen noodles, which is even funnier because I would be singing, make, making ramen noodles. <laughs> and like, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I say I sing about the truth it's autobiographical <laughs> and uh that was my life at the time it was really the only thing I knew how to make but um yeah because it, it was funny you know as a kid that young I, I did write a lot of like heartbreak songs and emotional songs which is funny because I you know what what did I really have going on heartbreak wise um but you know I could just tap into that but then I had this whole different side that was like, I love doing these silly songs that just make people laugh when they hear them. And um, and that was one of them. And as silly as that song seems, and when I talk to artists, when they first begin songwriting, uh -huh. much of their material is left in the past. But with Ramen Noodles, it actually made it on to your debut album, did it not? It did, which is... It's so funny. And, you know, to this day, um, people from my hometown, because uh, when I when I got signed to Sony, you know, we kind of scratched everything and, and wanted to start fresh with music. Um, but the the people from my hometown who who bought the record, you know, even the physical copy at the time, Raymond Noodles is their fave. So shout out to the song because I had all these deep beautiful songs you know that I, I felt like I'd really improved on and written because I'd released that as I guess a senior in high school and you know so I'd written many songs but they still wanted that one on the record so you, you got to give the fans what they want I guess <laughs> exactly that's right oh that's hilarious so on the performance side of things when did you start getting out there and performing when were your first local shows so um muscle shoals is a pretty small town um and i was in the marching band in high school and a friend of mine uh, that was in the marching band with me her dad owned a sandwich shop in muscle shoals uh, it was a little cafe and i asked him if i could perform at his sandwich shop on lunchtime and uh he said yeah and I actually borrowed a keyboard from my church because I didn't even have we had a piano at home but obviously you know I needed a keyboard to bring so I would uh, ask a friend of mine I borrowed his pickup truck to get the keyboard from the church to the sandwich shop and I would perform for an hour at the sandwich shop and um that was the very beginning and 
they were so sweet to let me perform my originals. And, and so this was, I guess, man, a sophomore, maybe a sophomore or junior in high school uh, when I really started performing out there. And, you know, it was so sweet of them because I was so new to performing and so nervous. I had no experience other than just sitting at my piano at home, which I barely showed my parents those songs, to be honest. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, it was a big deal for me. But once I started doing it, I fell in love with it. Like, I quickly realized that performing was something that filled my cup. Right. Yeah. yeah. And on the keyboard side of things, talk about, I think you were 17 and you walk into a music store and Harvey Thompson Jr., I believe, is in that music store where you buy your first keyboard. Now, talk about him and the man that he was. Unfortunately, I believe he's passed away since. But talk about him and the the influence that he had on your journey ever since buying that first piano. You're going to make me cry. This is I think this is the first time I've talked about Harvey publicly um, other than, you know, on my socials. Right. Yeah. That was a big moment that I didn't realize was a big moment. You know, yeah. you're, you're just living in, in our everyday life, doing the things that we do. And we don't realize till later, like that was either a person or a moment that really changed the current. Right. And, um, I remember walking into that music store, which it's one of, I think, two music stores in Muscle Shoals, but Counts Brothers, shout out. Um, and yeah, mom and dad wanted to help me buy my first keyboard. And, uh, so we, we walked in there and there's a whole room full of keyboards and Harvey was in there and, He's like, you know, what are you looking for? And and I didn't know anything about gear or what I needed. And I was like, I just need something to play uh, at some restaurants around town. And, um, you know, I, at the time I'd been interested in maybe playing weddings or corporate events. So something that was just easy, you know. Um, and so he's like, well, you know, let me show you a few different things here. So, um Anyway, he was showing me, you know, Nords and Yamahas and whatever. And um, he's like, why don't you feel the keys, you know, kind of, you know, play a little bit and and see what feels good. Because sometimes weighted keys or keys that don't have any weight. And um, and so I started playing and um, he was like, man, you know, you're, you're pretty good, gal. And I'm, you know, I'm like, thank you. Um, and it was um, really the beginning of a friendship and a mentorship um, because he he was like, actually, um, I play a regular gig at this restaurant called the 360 Grill. And it's a really fine dining, nice steak restaurant. And I would love uh for you to play my slot this weekend. I, I can't play the slot because I had something else come up. Would you be interested? It's three hours. And I'd never played three hours before, but I was like, all right, I'll do it. And, um, and so, 
that, um, that was the first time I'd ever filled in for him. And <laughs> who knew what the 360 girl would hold for me in my future, but I began filling in for Harvey anytime that he couldn't make his gig because either he had a wedding that was paying more or a corporate gig. Um, but he would reach out to me anytime, uh, that he couldn't make it. And so I started being the regular fill in and I actually got a hostessing job there as well. And I would hostess there uh, during college, uh, during the week. And I would perform there uh, occasionally on the weekends. And um, when I wasn't performing there on the weekends and Harvey was performing, I would hostess and the hostess stand was really close to where he was performing. And the other employees, when it started to like slow down around like nine o'clock, they'd be like, Rach, go sing with Harvey. And so Harvey would play the keys and he would play whatever, you know, uh, I can't make you love me or something just, you know, that's going to really get people. Um, and I would sing and, um, and we were just a duo and he was so much fun. And, and that was the first time I ever stood and sang because I'd always sat at the keys myself. Right. Yeah. And I slowly found a confidence standing next to him uh, while singing. Wow. So really, when you look back, any of this musical journey, would it have been possible without walking into that music store and meeting him? Do you think? No, I don't think so. You know, yeah, that was that was the first of many moments that I would say were miracle moments in my life. Right. And he just believed in me. And it, it makes me so emotional because obviously my parents believed in me. Um, but he was one of the first people to really say, like, you're going to make it one day. And and at that point, I didn't believe that because I was like, I'll just do music on the side. and you know, enjoy it as a hobby. Um, but he was like, no, you're, you're going to make it one day. And, um, it's pretty beautiful to have somebody say that to you. Absolutely. And now let's move on to the next life-changing moment that happened at the 360 grill. So I'll set this up and then get your feelings on it. So you're 17 years old. I believe you're a high school senior. You're performing at the 360 grill. And there's a man who's sort of watching you throughout the night. After the performance, he comes up to you. Turns out it's Jim Catino. He is the executive vice president of A&R with Sony Music Nashville. And he gives you his card and says, I love your voice. I love what you do. If you ever want to pursue this, give me a call. Now, from what I know, he is responsible. He sort of helped guide the careers of Carrie Underwood, Miranda Lambert, and Marin Morris. So a pretty big deal. Now, I've heard you talk about the fact that at the moment, you were like, no, this isn't real. This guy's just trying to be a creep and, and creep on me. But then you went to your parents and they did some research and they're like, no, this is this is actually true. And so within that experience, once you realized who he was and that he was who he said he was, what were your immediate feelings at that point? It was just really surreal for me. Cause I was like, 
first of all, how, how did this happen? Well, it's like a movie, right? It is. I was like, and you know, it's, it's weird to me. Like I just did not believe that I could do this as a career. I know that's probably not what people want to hear, but I was just like, what does this guy see in me? And, and like, obviously I loved doing it, but I feel like it's not even me trying to be humble, but I just think there's so many fantastic people who are so talented. And I was just like, how, like, how does he see something in me? I, I don't know. I, I, I just had a hard time reckoning and but I was so grateful. I mean, man, like people, you know, now living in Nashville for so long, I realized people work in Nashville to get that recognition and that conversation. I mean, for years and years. And I was so young that I couldn't even compute how big that was. Right. Yeah. And, and he was so kind and, um, and dad and I, uh, went to Nashville to talk with Jim some more about, about what that would look like and um, about the possibility of, of moving to Nashville and what, what it's about. Cause I just had no um, concept of the music industry other than probably what I'd seen in like the cheetah girls. <laughs> right. You know, I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I just, I wasn't ready for that. And I think it was God um, protecting me from moving at that point. Cause that just wasn't my story uh, to move then because I feel like it was God and whatever gut feeling in me that said, I need to stay home and go to college. And um, cause sometimes I wonder what it would have been like if I did move instead of going to college, but yeah wasn't the story I was meant to have. And so basically I, I you know, I told Jim, you know, I, I want to maintain a relationship and would love to send you more music as I'm growing as I write. Um, and really am like slowly becoming an adult. Right. I mean, I was 17. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I just don't know if this is something I can really handle doing. Like you have to be marketable. And, you know, I was so just like a weird little teenager. And, um, and so anyway, I, I just maintained a relationship with him and, and sent him songs every few months and, um, was, was grateful that he would give me feedback and listen. Right. And so you went off to University of North Alabama to do your schooling. Now, within that, during your time there, you were Miss UNA. Yes, University of North Alabama. So Miss UNA. Now, within that experience, how did that come about? Had you done anything like that in the past, pageant-wise or anything? Or was that like a spur-of-the-moment fun university thing? Yeah, it really was, I guess, spur of the moment. So I'm like a combination of a few things. So my mom actually works at the university. Okay. And as a freshman, I um, she encouraged me to do the pageant to help pay for college. Oh, wow. Uh, 
because it's a scholarship pageant. And if you win, um, you, you know, get a, is it, no, it was, yes, it was a full ride. Oh, wow. Which, which is crazy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, insane. And um, I was like, wow, it's been so long. I'm like, because, yeah, I mean, it literally paid for my schooling. Um, and each runner up also got a portion of that scholarship. And and on top of that, like, you know, if you win talent or you win Miss Congeniality or whatever, like, you can win a lot of scholarship. Right. And so mom is like, hey, you know, do this, do this pageant. You're very talented. You can sing and, um, you know, think about it. And part of it, I was like, okay, there's going to be some challenges, <laughs> um, walking in heels and wearing a bathing suit in public and I'm in public, but you know, in front of people. Yeah. And interviewing, um, you know, I, again, like, I feel like I've always been like a little bit type B personality and, um, you know, not your typical pageant girl interviewer, <laughs> right? at least what we've seen in Miss Congeniality. Right. Yeah. And I felt a little more like her. And, um, and so anyway, I, um, I decided to do it and I, I think I just won talent. I think that's all I, I, I did my freshman year and for my talent, I played the marimba, which is what I played in the marching band in high school and what I played in the marching band at UNA. Right. And so I played the marimba and I had a little lapel mic and I sang and they loved it because it was unique and it was fun. And, um, and I was a great marimba player. And uh, so it was just really, it was really fun to be able to showcase that and to bring that to the Miss America program. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I took, took the year off my sophomore year and didn't compete. And then my junior year, I was like, you know what? I want to try this again and really like give it a go. And so I got a, um, a walking coach to help me learn to walk more like a pageant. Oh, wow. I got an interview coach to help me interview better. And I really dug into my performance piece and um, ended up winning, which was so shocking like the really the most I hoped for was to place just to get some scholarship right right yeah and I couldn't believe that I won which meant I was going to miss Alabama and again felt so unworthy because I was like some of these girls have been doing these pageants their whole lives and I'm getting to go to miss Alabama um, but you know what? I worked my butt off for it and I just took it on and, uh, and really enjoyed the experience and, and found out a lot about, um, the program and, and those girls that I met, I, I'm still friends with many of them and gosh, the girls are smart, really, really smart. I, I had this, um, stereotype in my head of like, you know, these kind of dumb ditzy girls and, and these girls were 
brilliant and and really had hearts of service in their community. Um, so it was like a lot to um, just really learn and uh, and to appreciate for that world. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that world. And over that year that you were Miss UNA and competing for Miss Alabama, like what you learned about yourself, because like you say, with people on the outside looking in, a lot of times it does feel superficial. A lot of times it does feel like you say, getting a walking coach and an interview coach, and it feels like you're being judged a lot, but within it, and within yourself, like I was looking on social media and it felt like you really learned about yourself within that time and that you didn't have to be that perfect person that everyone saw on stage. Come on. Yes. Yes, Brendan. That's that's exactly how I felt. And and I went into it being like, you know what? I can't be anybody but me. Um, and I'm a very unique person. And you know what? I think if I try to be anybody else, um, well, that's just not really going to work out. Um, but you know, the only advice that I ever get really is be yourself. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it's easy to try to be other people, you know, I'm like, hence my music that just came out, but, um, but even then, like, that's what I was experiencing because there were girls that I was looking around that I was like, dang, okay, I see how they're approaching this and their personality is like this. And maybe if I'm more like this, I can do well. Um, but I was like, you know what, if I win this thing, I've got to be able to be me and, and stand for what I stand for. And so you know, I was like, I'm just going to be friends with people and have fun. And it honestly, I feel like it worked in my favor because, um, I'm, I'm a social butterfly. I just, I really am. I've tried to be this mysterious person before and it doesn't work. Um, but I ended up winning Miss Congeniality at Miss Alabama and, the the response from people when they gave that award and a few people were talking about me they were like she's just not competitive with other people she's only competitive with herself and she just wants to be friends and um and that like meant so much to me because i was like wow like what a big compliment and that was something i really wanted to hold on to, um, in my entire life because, um, people liked me just for who I am, you know? Right. Yeah. And talk about wrapping up university and then you head out to Nashville. Now university was only what about 20 minutes away from home while you were going yeah. there. And so when you finally made that decision to head to Nashville, I believe it's two, three hours away from home. What was that original move like and finally making the jump after having, you know, Jim in your corner for all these years and talking with you and preparing you basically for that move? Yeah, um, man, it was a leap of faith. I so um, I as a junior in college, 
um, I gave my life to Christ, which was a really big eye-opening thing for me and, and a big life change. Um, and so, you know, I decided I'm really going to listen to God's voice. I'm really going to surrender, you know, my future and my present to God. And, um, and I feel like my next steps were really a result of that. And, um, as a senior, I was getting ready to graduate and I remember being on the treadmill and I just heard God be like, text Jim and invite him to see you play. Cause at this point I was playing out really to pay my rent. You know, I, I was playing right. out every and, um, you know, every Friday and Saturday. And, um, and so I texted Jim and said, Hey, I'd love for you to come to one of my shows, uh, here at a restaurant in town and I'll put you up in a hotel or whatever. And, um, it was CMA fest week here in Nashville oh, okay. and sharing how crazy, you know, CMA fest week is. And I'd love for you to just come up here because it's pretty crazy for me to be able to come down. Um, will you just come play for the A&R team? And so I'm like, okay, A&R team. Sure. You know, that's Jim and a couple other people. Again, I didn't, I still didn't know enough about the industry to realize how big that was. Right. Right. So I came and played for Jim and the rest of their A&R team. And they really wanted me to move to Nashville and didn't offer a record deal, but wanted me to move to Nashville. And I was like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm convinced to be honest, like I want to move to Nashville, but I don't want to move without a record deal. And I'm like, that's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, prideful of me looking back, but but I don't know. I was like, I was like, what's the incentive, you know? And, yeah. um, and so I started praying about it and I was like, you know what, God, if you want me to move to Nashville, uh, give me a place to stay, you know, a home and a job because obviously I, I need those two things. And, and I, and I had one friend, uh, in Nashville who I'd known from college and, he got me a job as a bartender in Green Hills and um, another friend of a friend got me a room to stay in, in a lady's house. And that, I mean, I, I asked that prayer and two weeks later, I had both of those. Oh, wow. And so I met again, I had had dinner with a girl from the A&R team, Margaret and um, she was like, I really want you to think about this or whatever. And so I was like, I'm praying about it. And, and then I had everything I needed, you know, and, and I knew I was going to make enough bartending to be able to pay, pay the rent. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to grind and I'm going to be living on just enough, but you know what, that's, that's what it is. And, and let's go. And so I moved and I started songwriting and I, I wrote uh, with so many songwriters in town for about a year. And then Sony decided to sign me. And what was that moment like when you finally got that deal? It was shock. 
um, you know, part of me was like, even if I'm not an artist in this town, I can just be a songwriter and learn how to be a songwriter, you know? And obviously I do want to be an artist because I love singing and I love performing. I don't know exactly what my sound is yet, but you know, I'm, I'm learning and, um, and yeah, they had basically called me in to perform some of the new music that I had written with people. So they didn't even phrase it as this is a meeting to sign or not sign you. Oh, wow. Like they were like, we just want you to come in and play some of the new songs. So I'm like, I guess they wanted it to be low pressure. So I was like, okay, cool. And so I'm writing, you know, or playing the piano and, and singing. And at the end of the meeting, um, Randy Goodman was like, all right, um, we want to offer you a record deal. And I'm like, wait, what? Like talk about this or I don't know. And um, yeah, it was very exciting and, and shocking. And I was very, very grateful. That is amazing. And now, I mean, so much I want to talk about, but we do have to talk about your new music. And so let's skip ahead to 2020. You signed in 2018. Let's go ahead to 2020 and everything shuts down. And as an artist, you really don't have anything to do. So talk about sort of mid 2020 into early 2021 and that stage of you as an artist and being within the pandemic and how difficult that was, but also how much it taught you and the person that came out on the other side. Yes. I mean, I'm like, you said it really like, yeah. Um, I've never been good at sitting still. Um, as you can hear in my story, I like to work and I like to work hard and I like to work a lot. <laughs> um, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy performing. Um, I've never been great at downtime and 2020 brought this downtime that I didn't know that I needed. And, um, in so many ways, I, there's so much I could talk about, but really the truth is, um, social media, uh, became the main way for me to connect with fans. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful avenue for me to, I mean, the fact that we get to do that, the fact that we get to do this, you know, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the type of audience that I get to reach, uh, at, at this day and age, but, um, really social media began to overwhelm me and to be a source of affliction, um, I didn't realize how much I was starting to compare myself to other artists in town and out of town and other people and influencers. And I started feeling like I was not enough. Right. That girl, that pageant girl who had said, you know what, I'm going to be myself. She was nowhere to be found. I mean, really, um, and, and it was getting to such a rock bottom place that I didn't like my body. Um, 
so I would face tune my body. Um, I would use the app FaceTime to make my thighs smaller, to make my arms look smaller, to make oh, my wow. jaw thinner, um, to cover up acne on my face. Um, and I would filter, filter, filter. And I would work on a caption for three hours because I'm worried about how many likes I'm going to get. And man, I mean, it was just like, how did I get here? You know? And thank the Lord, my management and I, uh, decided I would take a break. And so, um, 2021, uh, spring, I decided to take a social media hiatus, uh, because 2022, 2021, I'd been constantly just connecting with fans and pushing out content and trying to stay relevant, but it was just getting the best of me mentally. And, and I felt like I didn't even know who I was anymore and I needed to find myself right. um, or find new parts of me. And during uh, the hiatus, Oh, just so much self-discovery from, um, from finding friends who were healthy, um, who weren't even in the music industry, people that just loved me with or without music, which meant a lot to me, um, really leaning into my faith, which is really important to me. Um, and then, you know, finding out who I am apart from music, even I started gardening, which is, I didn't realize how much I would love the process of gardening. And, um, it's something really that just still brings me a lot of joy. I've got tomatoes lined on my windowsill that are turning red. Awesome. I didn't know how much I would love that. And then, um, I also have been refinishing furniture. Um, and that was something that also, it was like a creative thing, but in a different way, like working with my hands and textures and, colors instead of words and sounds, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so anyway, I, um, I slowly started filling my cup in those ways and I was able to pour out more into my music because I wasn't draining myself looking at other people. I was getting, getting energy and getting, sustained by the things in my life and it's like you can't pour out if you're not pouring in right yeah absolutely and that was what came of that and um and I decided to go back to that girl who doesn't care and who's um a quirky little emo silly girl and um I'm thankful that I took that time because I, I don't know if I would have found her, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful that my team allowed me to do that as well. And, and like me was written during that time. Right. And yeah, like me is the new single written during that time. And then did I hear you say that you recorded the vocals at home for that? I did. So I, I learned how to use Pro Tools or um, which is like a recording a system to be able to use it. And um, yeah, I learned how to record my own vocals because most of my rights were on zoom. 
And so I wanted to be able to be efficient and, and be safe, you know, obviously with COVID still being pretty crazy. And yeah, a Tog Salter sent me the track, um, which was just a demo at the time. And I sent back three uh, full vocal passes, which is like singing from beginning to end and um, doing that three times and just giving it the best three tries I've got. And um, he picked the best snippets of each one and sent that back with the track. And that's the vocal that you hear today, which is pretty, uh, I'm very proud. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that experience because off the start, I was wondering if the vocals were maybe more emotional because you're more comfortable in your house. It's more comfortable than being in a studio. But then as you were talking, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe there's more pressure on you because you're doing it yourself and you don't want to mess up. So maybe the vocals might be stiffer in that way. So what was that process like different from being in a studio? That's a great question. Um, I would say a lot freer. Um, I, I have a few people in town who I really trust doing vocals with. So um, they, I feel like they really capture me and they make me feel really comfortable and they really encourage me as a singer. And I love working with those few people. Um, but there was nothing like getting to record my own because no one's telling me to do anything. And I'm already really hard on myself as a singer right? Yeah. and my own thoughts, but to be able to just um, be creative and kind of just do whatever I want without thinking, Oh no, what are they going to think about this? You know, there's nobody there, but my dog. And, um, and, and actually like me was the first song I ever recorded vocals, my own vocals on. And so that was a true experiment. Like, can I even do this? Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was really freeing. I, I, that's a great question. That's awesome. And I don't want to keep you too long. I have one more question in March of this year. So earlier, a few months ago, you had the chance to go back to the Norton Auditorium at the university where you went to school. And so talk about that full circle experience and playing that show and just the emotions that were going through you after all these years between when you were there being Miss UNA to now being up on that stage as a professional recording artist. Yeah, it was it was very uh, powerful and it was so fun. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of hard to put into words, but really getting to do that again. Yeah. That stage means a lot to me because I've done a lot of, I'm like, I just live my life on a stage in so many. Um, but it was amazing to see everyone from my hometown and they, were so kind and supportive and it was a really great turnout and yeah, just, I'd had a blast. And, and to be honest, you know, I, I'd, I'd done some more work 
um, in a studio here in Nashville of just working on my stage performance. Oh, okay. And that was the first time because I took that long hiatus. I really hadn't performed out other than like songwriter rounds, but I'm just sitting at a piano for that. Right. Yeah. First time I was getting to perform full band, you know, really rock the stage and feel comfortable um, after doing a lot of prep stage work. And I just felt so empowered and, and with new songs that I'm really excited to share with people. There's so much more new music coming and I got to try out several of those songs that night and they just went over so well. So it gave me a lot of confidence for what's to come. That is awesome. And what is to come? Like Me is the newest single. But do we do you have more music already ready to go? I do. Um, I have a few songs that are ready and um, we're going to be releasing more very soon. Any dates? Any any teasers you can give? Um, I would say probably sooner than you think. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm like, everybody's waited long enough for all this music. And I'm I am itching and and very, very excited to share all the new stuff. So um we'll 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 probably do one by one. Uh, for a little while. So I'll, I'll give you that. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Rachel for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her latest single, Like Me, and also keep an eye on her socials for upcoming music in the near future. Please also be sure to check out us on social media. We're available on all platforms. So just head over, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow. You can also visit us at countrymusicmademe.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. And finally, please, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review, a rating. It would be very much appreciated. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music Made Me.